here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back, everybody, to Wrestling Omakaze, uh, episode 37. This week, I'm very pleased to be joined by a brand new guest, the author of the book Lion's Pride, and now the author of his brand new book, Eggshells, uh, which he's here to discuss today. It's Mr. Chris Charlton. Chris, how are you doing today? Hello. Uh, very well. Very well. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know when this is going out, but as of right now, we're like, four days into funding this on indiegogo so still very busily putting names into spreadsheets and sending thank you emails and and everything yeah i just got mine like two hours ago i think yeah cool. yep. but That's yeah great. it was um it was actually once i read that you were going because i was kind of like deciding what tier i wanted to go on but once i read that we hit i guess you guys hit the the hardcover goal Mm. on like on the stretch goal and i've i've when i understand it the the level i i like gave at would in, would be for the hardcover book so yeah i just kind of realized yep. thought i wanted that before it ran out but yeah so yeah, yeah. It, it's one of those things always like I, I spent a year and a half writing the book so i i knew that whether we got enough money or or not like it was going to get it was going to get out there in some form but uh you know if it was an absolute abject disaster then okay we can just 
release it as a as an EPUB file and on a Kindle or whatever. Um, but the the more money that's that's gone into it, the the more ambitious uh, we we compete with it. You know, yeah. Um, so yeah, we just blew blew past the the hardcover thing. As we're talking about this right now, we're very close to being able to do a podcast companion, um, which is cool. Um, like the idea behind the podcast will be like uh, uh, taking the the book in general to explain the structure as it goes through every show that's ever happened in the Tokyo Dome. So it's going year by year. Mm -hmm. um, the book's divided into years, and so the the podcast will be will hopefully have a different guest each time, and look at one year of the Tokyo Dome, um, and put that in the context of like I guess sort of Japanese news at the time and Japanese pop culture at the time, and then we can talk about you know um, sort of MVPs and favorite matches from each of these shows, and then that way. It's the idea is that it'll be a companion podcast as opposed to something that regurgitates the book or or talk or goes play by play through each of these shows. It'll be something different. So that's that's cool and exciting. Um, and, I mean, you're almost you're, yeah. as, as you're doing it right now, because um, we're we're talking here Friday night American time, Saturday morning Japan time. This is going to come out Monday, basically Monday morning uh, mm. American time. So you might actually already be at that goal by the time people hear this. You're already very close. <laughs> In that case, I think if this is definitely going out on Monday and I can embargo, embargo you and, until then, then, uh, yeah, I can mention that our last, I think, I don't want, I hesitate to say last because, you know, if I say this much and like, oh, we're never going to get there, then suddenly everybody will, will rush to it. <laughs> um, but the, yeah, the next thing which will be announced by Monday will be an audiobook as well. Oh, that, that'd be really um, good. Yeah. And that we've got, uh, you know, because I came from, or I started doing everything I was doing by um, podcasting with uh, live audio wrestling when that was still a thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I know, you know, I knew John Pollock and, and all the guys over there. Um, and so the, the podcast will, the idea behind the podcast is that it's going to go first to backers so like the backers will be able to get um episodes before the funding campaign finishes and then once the book is kind of out it'll be on the you know it'll be on john pollock's like post wrestling network right um and the audiobook because because i have ties to the the old law crew um we've got uh, a, a deal with uh, dan lamouth levansky who did the who hosted the law for for so long um, and also did some of the English Noah commentary on on the Fight Network, and did FMW um, enhancing when they did those English language FMW DVDs uh, years and years ago. Uh, so Dan Lavransky is going to be reading an audiobook for us as well. Um, Sounds awesome. And yeah, that's that's really exciting. But they, that will be a sort of because of all the production that goes into that. Um, and the, the time and the equipment. So that's going to be if we double the initial goal, like if we can get to, to ten thousand dollars instead of the initial five, then that's what we'll be we'll be doing. Yeah, I mean, it looks very possible so far. So, yeah. um, so I wanted to ask you, by the way, you brought up live audio wrestling. Were you the one who selected JoJo that to take over Japan Audio Wrestling at the time? Uh yeah, it was. So yeah, it it was very sort of hectic. I did 
Japanese audio wrestling from when we started. It was it was me and WH Park from like 2012 up until the end of 2016, and then WH um, sort of decided that the time wise and investment wise he he can do it. So yeah, that's when I bought on JoJo. And uh, then it was like, oh, I'll, I'll entrust the show. The show it'll be me and you for for going forward. And then the next month, uh, I had a lot of things and a and a big project come up, and it was like, I I'm gonna have to stop. So I felt really bad about it, but like it was, yeah, we went through uh, a lot of changes there at the start of 2017, and then the law like imploded as yeah, well. Yeah, then then TNA happened basically. Yeah, TNA happened basically. Yeah. But yeah. um but yeah Jojo, great dude. I've met him a couple of times in Japan. Mm. Mm-hmm. I want to shout him out here. Weirdly he's never been on this podcast so I'll have to get oh, well, him you, at some point. You can you can but, uh, things to him. Yeah. Mm. But um the main thing we're gonna talk about obviously is eggshells. Uh we already just talked about a little bit about the Indiegogo campaign. So this is your second book, right? Because your yes. first book was Lion's Pride. Yeah. Uh, which I was actually just reading. It was very helpful on the flight uh, to mm-hmm. and from Spain. But Lion's Pride, if you want to talk a little bit about that, that came out, I believe, 2015, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right so around. that, yeah, that was kind of right around when there was like the start of this international momentum to New Japan and the Wrestle Kingdom nine was the the real sort of big impetus for that or the real big sort of timing for that because that was the the show that went on western pay-per-view with with jim ross on it yeah um it was just i mean it was partly a thing of doing the podcast of doing japanese audio wrestling and um we'd get the occasional comment all the time when i mean this was back before there were that many english podcast about japanese wrestling and now there's there's a fair few um but it, it was you know back then there, there were very few of them so there was a lot of we get a lot of comments along the lines of you know it's it's great to do you know to, to that we're doing what we were doing um of giving english language coverage to the scene but the people didn't really have a context for what was going on at the moment you know they didn't have the historical knowledge um of what you know if they were just joining in with with new japan so that was the impetus to to writing uh a history um and uh yeah it got out there and and was very well regarded i guess um but yeah, I don't know how I feel about it now, like three years on, you know, I, th- I think um, it it did what it set out to do, I think, well, and um, I'm very happy that a lot of people like it. Uh, at the same time, it necessarily, by the nature of what it is, because we went through 40 years, 43 years of history in whatever it was, like 260-odd pages or whatever, um, like some of it was very... It was very sort of surface level because it kind of had to be. Um, and I think with eggshells, like it's afforded because everything's framed through these specific events, then it's afforded me the ability to be very um, sort of specific to do like deep dives on things. Um, and so it's been a lot more work and a lot more research 
um but it's been really fun to do you know i've learned a lot doing it and um yeah it's been a really good project the the one thing i learned a lot about reading um in in the new japan history book was they, that i never really saw a lot of great english coverage of was that the whole beat takashi thing mm. like his whole thing because that's really not well understood like if you read a mm. lot of english language um you know information about that whole incident it's just kind of like well vader beat enoki in five minutes and then there was a mm. riot and yeah. it doesn't really get into the whole context of you know beat takashi and everything else that was going on there so right like i yeah, had no, because, I had no I idea mean, that, the, that like the hardcore fans really did not care for his involvement at all like i had no clue so that was yeah it. yeah 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 yeah. and i think like yeah it, it speaks to the nature or the sort of game of telephone that that comes along with everything from especially like the pre-internet era um when you could send somebody to japan like japan was a different planet compared to the states right and things could happen on a completely different timeline and so it's it's weird it's almost like a sort of medieval or prehistoric way of of telling like japanese wrestling history because the only people like really the only person who would relate that story to sort of wrestling historians in the west would be fucking vader you know yeah and of exactly. course he's gonna come over and say oh it was great brother you know I, I drew so much heat there was a riot you know and they had to get me away in the car and it was all me brother you know like obviously well, it's funny <laughs> the way you say that because if you read melcher's account that's literally how, how it comes off so yeah it makes exactly. it sound like he got it directly from vader right 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 so yeah it, it, there's there's so much where yeah there, there's i feel like Indiana Jones like pouring over sacred texts. <laughs> it's very no. Here's what here's what actually happened. Um, yeah. So obviously, um, I think most people who follow you would know that um, you're fluent in Japanese, and you know that's one of the reasons why I think a lot of fans end up following you. Um, what? How has that role? Do you think like as far as being this person who kind of almost ends up being like this gatekeeper? Or this mm. connection for Western fans to to Japanese fans who maybe are to Japanese wrestling because they can't understand the language or they don't you know they don't know anything about it that well. Like, how has that role changed, or like, have you felt in that role since like since you started out? Um, you know, because obviously you talked earlier about how so many more fans are just here now. Like, does it does it feel does it feel strange to still be in that role so many years later? Yeah, I it's. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I'm sort of prone to, you know, I said this on Twitter the other day, like, I'm prone to sort of imposter syndrome and, and feeling, it's very strange to have people, you know, put you or hold you in regard and say you're you're an erstwhile resource for things. Um, and it's it's not entirely comfortable all the time but at the same time it's afforded like a, a lot of really cool opportunities you know i think because we because i was doing what i was doing on twitter and then because i did the first book um it got me you know it got me not so much on the japanese you know i don't think there's there's many people although i don't think there were many people before i started this book that you know there's not that many people on the japanese side who who know me but like the sort of english 
guys did because they either guys that can speak Japanese like Kenny were um you know they appreciated what I was doing for the community at large um and then you know and Kenny and Rocky were appreciative of that and then you know uh, there's a lot of wrestlers that that follow me that just sort of appreciated what i was doing so that they could understand how they were being portrayed uh in the japanese media or how their opponents were, were building towards certain matches um and so that it opened a lot of doors with them to get interviews for this book um and it opened a lot of doors you know separately like you know i mean last year i think i'm allowed to talk i think i'm allowed to talk about this because um damien's talking about it but um i did some consulting work with vice last year for their uh you know damien abraham's making this documentary the the wrestlers and um you know i did some consulting work with them and then some interpreting work with them for, for that documentary series which um was really intimidating to me you know because i've never you know i can speak japanese but it's a whole different thing to be interpreting like a long form interview two ways and that was scary but like sometimes you know that challenge kind of forces you to remind yourself that you belong in a, in a way um yeah i mean to get background to your your question in a roundabout way yeah it is uncomfortable to an extent but um, it's also, I don't want to say gratifying, but like it's, you know, I appreciate everything that's, that's come as a result of it, I think. So um, as you've seen, obviously, the groundswell of support at the, the greater number of Japanese fans in the past few years, pretty much since Lions Pride came out, as you were saying earlier, um, have, have the number of requests and like questions you've gotten um, you know, especially via Twitter and stuff from Western fans looking to understand this very Japanese medium, has that gone up and has that become very overwhelming for you at times? Um, no, I think it's just you have to be a little bit more selective, perhaps. Um, and also, you know, I, I think it comes like in general, like I'm more, I try to be reasonably personable with my personal Twitter, like it is my Twitter, you know, I'm not tweeting on behalf of, of somebody else. Um, and so I think most people understand that I'm not, you know, I'm not a content creator in that regard, you know, that um, I'll try and answer questions and that, uh, you know, um, I'm a human being at the same time. I think most people, most people kind of understand that. But I think as well, like the Japanese scene at large has been slow to accommodate all of these people and to hop on board with the fact that everything's global and instantaneous and they, they need uh, delivery in English. Um, and not just on New Japan's end, but like, you know, a lot of other companies are, are gradually um, you know, subtitling things, uh, having translators on board. And we're to the point now where as well on Twitter, there's that community of people that can translate things and and um, help people out. That's that's steadily that's steadily growing. You know, it's like I don't know 
that much uh, purely because of time i don't watch much ddt i don't watch much indie stuff but i know michelle can do it you know so i'm like i'll send you to progress aikaiba um you know so it's it's good in in that sense certainly on on twitter like it feels like there's a community that i was kind of on the ground floor of admittedly but it's something that that's grown and there's a network of people which is all very all very good very positive um i think like that goes back to to lion's pride in a way and something that um you know i'm i'm happy to to go back to your like your first question of of how that went and one of the things that i'm i'm happy it did well but at the same time like i think i was thinking as i was writing it that it would start a sort of tidal wave of other people writing books about japanese wrestling you know i kind of i was hoping that it would start this this conversation of of somebody going i want to write about this and and uh doing that research as well not not necessarily for me but as well as me um and that didn't happen yet you know so that's kind of the next step i think like social media we've we've pretty much got it in hand like all of us together um, i mean if it, i think it was one of the inspirations behind us at vow starting the the mm. yearly new japan ebook yeah so yeah that i mean that's yeah yeah that's great and that's gone from strength to strength as well right and um yeah 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 uh yeah it's it's definitely cool there's there's so much but it's you have to like the the jam you've been here so you understand like what it is to go into a japanese bookstore oh yeah and it's like and i'm not talking about just going to like a sweet obashi wrestling store just like any japanese bookstore and there's amazing you know <laughs> there's all these amazing books there's like you know i started reading um the rise and fall of uh international wrestling enterprise which was the third it was like the third brand off offshoot from yeah the, like the 1970s yeah mm. right um and can you imagine that how niche like <laughs> a, a book the about a promotion that existed in from like 1969 up until like the like 80 81 or whatever and, it really it, it lasted that long mm, wow and it, it was this book dude it's like 700 pages wow dense stuff and it's in like a regular <laughs> bookstore you know <laughs> it's like it's in like your, your regular equivalent of barnes and noble or whatever you know this isn't just a self-published thing somebody's putting out on kindle like yeah it's a, you know and it's amazing and it, it would be uh so good to to make that accessible to the west but at the same time like even western wrestling like you couldn't write a book that big about i don't i don't know the WCCW or <laughs> yeah. WA or whatever, yeah. and 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 have it be on regular bookshelves. You know, like it's yeah. just unfeasible. But um, all right, so let's switch tracks a little bit and get into the the meat of eggshells here. First, mm. I mean, easy question: what what made you decide to do a book specifically on the Tokyo Dome? Um, yeah, it, it's I and I'm I'm bad with hobbies. Like I need some compulsion 
to do something. Otherwise, you know, I, I need to feel like my free time is going somewhere. Do you know what I mean? Otherwise, I can't do it. So, like, um, I used to have a website covering video games because that way I felt if I play video games and then I write about them, <laughs> then then like it justifies itself to me. Yeah. Um, and a couple of years ago, like New Japan World put, started putting before Wrestle Kingdom, they put all their January fourth Tokyo Dome shows in one playlist. Yeah. Um, I thought, oh, that would be a nice little thing to watch. And in the end, you know, I watched a couple of those shows and I didn't have time. And then, like, it was Wrestle Kingdom time and then uh, it's very busy and whatever. Um, so I was like, uh, I'm not going to have time to do that. But then I thought, okay, so there's t like 25 of these January 4th shows. There can't be that many others, you know. So I did, you know, I do a little bit of cage match. Search. How, how many shows were there? You know, it comes out to, um, 60 64 or 62 at the time it was and you, and you found the funny thing that i found when i just tried to search them all where you get all those shows at like tokyo dome city hall uh, yeah right to yeah tokyo yeah, yeah, dome yeah. hotel tokyo dome hotel <laughs> yeah right it's like big japan never went in <laughs> yeah. um yes yeah, so then it was like okay so 64 of these shows um so i wondered like oh maybe i can write about these um, and then it became, okay, if I'm going to write about these, I wonder if I can get in touch with people that were there and flesh that out. Um, and then, you know, talk about it in depth. I mean, like the worst, I can't stand like wrestling writing or, or anything like that where it's just play by play, you know, and I know this is like the voice of wrestling credo of like the play by play sucks, you know? Yes. Um, so I, you know, I wanted to find a different angle to each of these shows, you know, whether talking about the business at the time or talking about certain matches artistically at the time. Um, and so really, yeah, it, it sort of snowballed from there. And that was started writing December 2016, like late November, early December 2016 and finished like, basically the first draft got finished in at the end of january so it was like 14 14 months or so so let's talk like really quickly um like from a technical standpoint what was really hard to track down like footage wise and what was like really crappy quality oh dude like lots of you'd be surprised but like lots of mid 2000s like new japan stuff yeah no i, I if you look through if you look through the archive on new japan world you're not going to be surprised actually because all that yeah stuff it's true yeah i mean yeah they they it's not that stuff's not archived and there's i mean there's a lot of practical things with with new japan world that yeah that i realize and that i know and that i understand and there's a certain extent where like they're not going to go through all of this effort and server space and everything else to put up an Enochism show that nobody likes <laughs> for the benefit of me, basically. <laughs> you know? uh, there are a lot of, there, we have a lot, probably do have a lot of listeners that love all that Enochi stuff. Yeah, yeah, but... right. But I mean, <laughs> yeah, it, it's much of a much, you know, so then, okay, next step, let's try and do this legally. Um, so I'll hunt on Amazon for DVDs and, and some, some I got DVDs 
some of the DVDs were ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculously expensive. Yeah, like what, like hundred dollars, um, right? So then you're you're doing some very sort of odd digging around. Lots of like, there's good Chinese streaming sites. You know? Yeah, it's like, yeah. Like no, really okay. weird Chinese, like you know, for a while it was YouTube, wasn't it? Like the Russian the russian youtube or whatever yeah. but like there's chinese equivalents so i got some of that stuff and um eric and real hero like obviously the real hero archive which is i i don't know where it is now like it's on a different website isn't it um it's like so, on a blog now it's yeah, like, yeah. Well, it's have a different name now I, yeah i just have like the japanese tv channel so i barely ever mm. use it so because what well what's what was great about the archive i don't know how much of it is left there now but what's what's what was really helpful about some of that would be it for some of these shows it would also be like the world pro wrestling like before and after so the, you know that way i could watch the build and i could watch the commercials and i could watch the promos as well and um so that that was a really really big help yeah yeah um, okay, so let's talk about the um, the, the actual shows here. Um, the er- the early days, obviously, what you have is a lot of obviously you have a lot of New Japan shows. You also have a couple SWS shows. Um, mm-hmm. You have the UWF U Cosmo show. You yep. have the the All Japan Summit. So what really stood out? Oh, you also have pro wrestling Fujiwara Gumi too. Yeah, um, within the first few years. So, what stood out there in, in those first few years for you when you're going through these shows? Um, what I I had another interview when somebody asked like, what was the most fun to write or interesting to write? And for me, it's like the SWSs. And yeah, those, the, those, that, that's just reading about that. That's always been a thing I've always like loved to read about because it's yeah. so. If you go back and watch the footage, it's just so weird. Right. And but, it, yeah. And they drew it first, though, which is like the craziest part. Like, people- I mean, they did, they they didn't, they didn't. But I, but I mean, the concept was sound because it was effect. It was like hybrid wrestling, you know. Yeah. And we we'd get all of these people from uh, sort of different promotions, and like you know, Tenry will be our core, and like he'll be like our wrestling wrestling. But then we'll also have shooters in it, and we'll also have like lucha guys in it, you know, because we have that connections ultimo dragon will come over um but like the the problem was that the guy who was who was running it was rich i mean you're talking like peak bubble era japan like money flying everywhere you know which was how like um sws is super world of sports and the super comes from megane super which is an opticians like this guy had a company that was making eyeglasses and he had so much money and he liked wrestling. So it's like, I'm going to start a wrestling promotion. Um, and I had, and, got the rap as, as a role of being money pure Oh, Well, yes. Yeah, exactly. That was, well, that's a whole other story. Um, there, there's some skullduggery involved with that because like the the money wrestling was, was coined by um, Tarzan Yamamoto, who was like the editor of Shupro, the weekly pro wrestling magazine. Yeah. And um, he, like, long and short of it, he was bribed by Baba to just slander tenure <laughs> on the press. Which he did I, didn't, for, I didn't even know that. That's, that's awesome. Um, I didn't even know that story. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like, the, the SWS, it was, like, the definition of a money mark, you know. And he wanted desperately to run the Tokyo Dome. 
and you know you'd have people coming up to us saying we can't fill yokohama arena like there's no way we can do the tokyo it's like just and like the 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 shatter's words were like literally book people that can fill the tokyo dome yeah. <laughs> it's like open checkbook, you know. And so yeah, then WWF comes in or whatever. So like but yeah, I I love the SWS stuff. I love the the UWF because they're like done, you know? So like I liked having it was something very different to writing about New Japan, very different to writing about writing Lions Pride, because like these are self-contained stories. You know, there's a, a clear start and an end point to these promotions. Um, so th it was fun to write about. And because there's enough distance from these these companies, um, people have done all sorts of interviews over, over the years. So, like, there was a lot of fun things that, it, that I could dig up and, and research and learn about. And, uh, yeah, th those parts, I think... The, the two SWS shows are, are two of the chapters I'm, I'm sort of most happy with. So those were March 30th, 1991 and December 12th, 1991, just for the people following alone, alone at home. Um, mm. The the other early stuff, what what about the one I don't know anything about that I, I had no idea they even ran it until I read it was the um, pro wrestling Fujiwara Gumi stack of arms show. Mm. Um, how did How did that come off when you were watching it? Difficult. It was difficult. I, I mean, you cosmos as well was difficult to an extent because that I'm one. I not... that one I knew like that one I've seen. So that mm. was that's a little different. But like I just but, had no idea this show existed. Yeah, I mean they're they're tough. They were tough to do because I'm not an MMA person in the slightest. Yeah, me neither. Um, and it's just not, and that style doesn't appeal to me. So, you know, basically the way, the way I'd approach each thing would be I'd watch the show first. Hopefully watching the show, I can then get an angle on, you know, I can pick up on one thing or pick up on something where it's like, okay, here's my start. I'll go, you know, then I'm off to the races kind of thing. But so much of that style washed over me to the point that, you know, it was so difficult to write about. And fortunately you know i have i know people that could help out there so like uh pwfg uh paul lazenby um did was super helpful you know and, and he's got a sort of good couple of pages in in the book talking about pwfg because pancreas came like kind of immediately following it um and then you know john pollock obviously uh helped out Jordan Breen as well, like uh, gave a lot of the insight to the MMA sections um, from the ins and outs of, of what was happening in the ring. And then from there, like really my take on those shows, uh, especially the PWFG show, was to look at it from the human end and the political end of how, A, how PWFG happened, how the second generation UWF collapsed because um, their UWF were planning to run one more Tokyo Dome show immediately before they they collapsed. And they there was publicity sent out and everything. Uh, it was December, geez, 90 or 91, 90, uh, it would have been 90. Mm-hmm. 
or would it have been 91? I don't know. But so this, you know, they publicized it, but before they started selling tickets, the, the company went under, you know, they, they'd already split into sort of three or four segments in there. Um, and SWS and UWF's second gen UWF are very closely tied um, because SWS, uh, Megane Super sponsored U Cosmos, um, which was really just a ploy to get like Megane Super out there and then get Super World Sports like as a launching pad off of that. Um, and so, yeah, the, it, it, was, it was, yeah, I, I took the, the sort of political and the human approach to that as opposed to looking at the mechanics of what's going on in ring. And I think that's the thing. That's the thing with not writing play by play about what's happening in the ring, because, you know, if you're, if you're really motivated to actually stack of arms, you can find quite easily on the internet, you know, yeah. so you can go out and watch that. I'm, I'm, probably, I'm probably going through now because I had no clue that it existed. Yeah. It's amazing. Like I love the, um, the opening sequence to it. It's just, you couldn't get more in 1992 than like, the, the opening segment to Stack of Arms. And Min um, Minoru Suzuki, yeah. semi-main in 92. Still, yeah, yeah. still, right. still kicking around now. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so moving on, I guess, to the, some of the other shows that happened in the early days, anything stand out for you? Let's say in the first up through for the new Japan shows, the first show up to about the one four ninety four show. Anything stand out there for New Japan? I mean, it was a lot of WCW. Um, it was, yeah. So, I mean, lots of, like, just random, they did this match, you know, because there was a lot of, you know, these were some of these shows where they were cutting, like, a separate version to air in, in the U.S. Uh, for WCW. And it's weird as well because, um, you know, I talked to JR about it. Um, because you know he was he came out here for those shows, but it's it, like they flew him out there, and then he didn't do commentary at the time. You know they flew they flew everybody out there, and then flew everybody back, and then he just did voiceovers on the on the matches anyway. <laughs> What's the point? Um, but yeah, I mean like you you have stuff like Ellie Gante versus Big Cat Hughes in the middle of like this this like two one show or whatever. Um, really good tag team stuff. You know, because that's when you had like Hase and Sasaki as a team, Hase and Muto as a team, the Steiners being yeah. like amazing, you know. Um, so from a pure like watching wrestling standpoint, you know, those are the ones that stand out to me. And like Hase in general, like early nineties Hase is yeah, fantastic. He was awesome. The one yeah. four the one four ninety four show to me stands out a little bit be just because of some of the weird guys who were booked on it. Like they still have the I, I guess at this point they still have the WCW relationship, but like then Hogan is on here before he actually went to WCW, like months before, mm. and the Steiners are on here when they're WWF guys. Mm. They're, they're, they come over to work. Uh, Hase Abuto in a pretty damn good match. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's a one four ninety four is kind of an interesting one, and the main event is Tenro over Noki. Yeah, interesting match. Yeah, right. So, so this was yeah Tenyu. They, I mean, Tenyu had come from SWS so then they, this was when he started war in 93 I think it was um, and yeah it, it was like New Japan and war in the end worked so closely um, and it was really because Tenryu obviously 
very good friends with Ricky Choshu yeah. um, from like the All Japan days. That was like 10 years prior. And then Ricky Choshu had the book in New Japan and was sort of willing to sort of pay back a lot of favors and, and do this and that. Um, but it got to the point where there were a lot of uh, sort of the, I don't know, 1993 Japanese smarks were kind of saying that war isn't really a promotion. It's just like a New Japan subsidiary. You know, there was like that rumor going around, like that's how closely that they were working. And that's why, you know, Tenmu was able to go over in Oki and, um, and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a very, that's an interesting interpromotional feud. It's, it's also the thing that got Koto Ibushi into wrestling. Oh, wow. Actually, talk about it. Yeah. It's the, the first show he watched. Wow. So that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. The, the whole war thing is so interesting because it goes from being this thing that's very closely connected with new Japan into being this thing that basically gets absorbed into all Japan mm. in, like, in the early two thousands after the split with Noah. Yeah. So, like war just kind of that, that ends up making up like half the half the post split all japan roster yeah but um all right so there are other like early stuff um obviously on november 20th 94 you have a very famous show the mm. big egg wrestling universe superwoman great war um i think that's one of my favorite shows of all time um it's very long obviously and i guess uh, watching watching all of it again must have must have been a trip but um yeah but yeah just I, like, I, well the thing is as well like a lot of it is not good you know the 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 highs of it and the second half of it is amazing obviously but yeah you you have things like you know there was a weird sort of two french amateur wrestlers having yep. like exhibitions and then there was a weird thing where it's like we have these wrestlers who are doing like women's pro wrestling in india and here they are and we're just gonna get them roll for a bit and show what indian women's pro wrestling's like and the the you know it, it's kind of yeah it, it's very bizarre it's, it really it's it, it turns around with the lco match like that's yeah. basically where it turns and yeah. then at that point, yeah, everything right. at that point is really, really good. Yeah, 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 yeah. So if yeah, anyone at home wants to wants to watch the show, just skip to that LCO against uh, Nagashima and Kurla Nai match, and just watch everything from there. And you really can't go wrong. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, so that but that show, I get yeah, obviously that's you know, I mean, not not the peak of Japanese women's wrestling, I guess, because they, you know, was more popular on mainstream wise in the eighties, but in a lot of ways, just like. The peak of that era it's like that yeah i think it's the last hurrah i think really because i think everything after that kind of it was not even a slow descent either like it it kind of was this this bubble popping and i think in a way you, you almost look at it and you see it being kind of a, a warning sign that male pro wrestling didn't see coming you know Mm. The, this was a bubble that was gonna pop because there were there were too many people uh, competing for the same yen, effectively. Too many With, companies. Yeah, too many companies, and then you know an entirely new sort of medium in in the form of mixed martial arts coming up. Um, you know that it was inevitably going to be a bubble that that was popping. It wasn't going to keep growing and growing. Um, and a lot of male companies were caught unaware and like it was it took some time it took like another five or six years but that's something that happened you know to male person as well 
Yeah. Um, okay, so let's keep going here. What is this weird JD Star one on December 26th? It's like two matches yeah, and 1,500 people. Um, that's a tricky one. It was actually it was a two-day festival. It's only one on Cage Match. But they, they did the 25th and the 26th. Um, and it wasn't a wrestling card per se. It was um, like JD Star was a subdivision. It was something. It was like a talent agency, basically. Was it was, was, a pre, it was the precursor of Star in a lot of ways? Because uh, yeah, that's where Rossi well, I mean, from. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's where it's sort of um, Rossi Ogawa, you know. Kind of got his <laughs> kind of got his in, you know, with with being with managing like around the sort of crush gals era and stuff. But I mean, that was a lot of logic behind uh, Joshi in the eighties of their, I guess, the first sort of cross media stars, you know, where they're going to be wrestlers and then we're going to put them in movies and they're going to sing and they're going to be on TV as like generic TV idols or whatever. Um, so yeah, it was like this this talent agency. They wanted to push into China, um, but in order to do that, they needed sort of more talent or like a bigger um, portfolio on the Japanese end. Um, and so somebody had the bright idea of starting a wrestling promotion. Um, and uh, it, you know, I mean, it it wasn't a big deal. But like the yeah, that's that's why it was a two day festival to say here's all the talent that we have on offer. So we're going to have music and we're going to have this and that. Um, and then we're going to have a wrestling show somewhere in the middle of that. So, um, yeah, there were, I think there were two matches on each night or, or something like that. Um, and very difficult to find. Yeah, I, there's no footage of it as far as I know. Um, and very difficult to find any information on what actually happened anywhere. You know, I found like some ancient sort of pre live door you know blog that some japanese fan had in 1996 you know and like managed to crib some some details off of that but uh, so you did, you, did, you did include it in the book then i did include it in the book there, there is a section in the book but it's more about what the fuck jd star was <laughs> and what this festival was yeah. more than what actually happened in the show because yeah it's it's the i think it's a, it's the one show that there's just nothing yeah there's, there's no there at all um, so 98 in New Japan would kind of be the big like retirement year because you had obviously yeah. the the 1-4 was the final power hall in Tokyo Dome. Mm. Um, and of course, it did not end up being Ricky Shirsu's final match. No. But um, there was, of course, the uh, the much bigger one would be the Inoki one, um, mm. which was on April 4th. And that I guess that was Inoki's final match. He, might, he came back for like an exhibition, I think. He did an exhibition, yeah. Yeah, but, but not a real really one. His last match, yeah. So, what, what was that one like? I guess well, you can talk about both of them, but like, especially the Inoki one. I know, um, you know, that was the I, I guess the biggest crowd they've ever done, right? The dome. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's the it's the biggest crowd. We don't know exactly how big, um, you know, and that's the that's the problem with you inflate attendance from the very start. And then, like, when you do a bigger number, you can only inflate on top of that because you're in the same building, you know. It's like yeah. WWE can make up whatever because they're going to a different stadium every WrestleMania, you know. But when you Why run the Tokyo Dome every year, 
it's like there's no measurement it's like you've already said from the start there were fifty-five thousand people in the first show you know so where are you going to go <laughs> above that you can't well, the, really. an- the answer what they claim seventy thousand for this which they is... claim 70 <laughs> yeah, yeah. but i mean it was so i mean if i had to gauge it i don't know it, it would have been probably in the 50 range yeah so i mean it was i would i would say it was probably 50 or more than 50 and that that came from you know comments people that were there and people that talked to the staff there where they were saying you know technically they they broke restrictions on the building like they broke the fire safety code to have people sit in the aisleways or to be have people stand um i don't know if you been to the Tokyo Dome, but like you know, behind the seating, there's like the you know the walkways around where they're selling merch. And they had people standing in there, um, so they, it was more than capacity. But I mean, more than capacity is like 50k <laughs> instead of 70k. So yeah. it's so difficult uh, to say. You know, the, the only thing we know is that the the gate was the biggest thing uh, for a long time. It was the biggest thing, right until WrestleMania 23, yeah. I think. And then, yeah, um, it was like yeah, the, yeah, the I think it was like twenty three that beat it. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so that that was a that was a very interesting show. They made them go through, you know, a mm-hmm. tournament to fight to decide who got to fight Anoki. Yeah, um, and the, it's a weird show to watch because nobody really gives a shit. <laughs> they, <laughs> they're clearly all there to see, like, even not even the match is the most important thing. You know, it's the speech afterwards, it's the retirement ceremony, it's like Ali coming out and all of that. Like, that's what people were, were there for, you know. And there was, um, you know, so there's, there's a lot that kind of gets overlooked on that show. Like, the, the semi-main, like, Fujinami and Sasaki is really good. I mean, that's a really good, like, little title match, like, tells this this really good story that, uh, that you know, nobody, nobody really talks about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, okay, so, also in 98, we had All Japan's debut at the Tokyo mm. Dome, the 25th anniversary show. Uh, they basically, they ran two shows at the Dome before the split, which was the 25th anniversary in May of 98 and the Giant Baba Memorial Show in May of 99. Now mm-hmm. it, it was it's a long time since I've seen these two shows, but from what I remember, neither one of them is really anything like super great. And it just felt like for some reason the atmosphere at Budokan just had trouble tra- like transitioning to to Tokyo Dome for them. I don't know if you would agree or not though, but that that's kind of what the vibe I got uh, was. I can kind of see that and a lot of the talent there, there was a very real split over whether they should do it or not and miss didn't want to do it and kobashi didn't want to do it um kobashi like the the questions i asked to him you know there was in all honesty like i didn't get a huge amount of from kobashi because like he was ultimately i didn't really like working there you know <laughs> so like i'm more sort of emotionally attached to to um Budokan than to the tokyo dome but i mean they there's there's good stuff like the the that 98 main event kawada misawa is really good the misawa vader main event in 99 is is really good um but it's, it's also a lot, a lot of the Japan hardcores seemed like they like they, they don't think the misawa kawada matches as good as a lot of the other misawa kawada matches 
but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I, I can, I can see that, but I think as well, it's like the, the hardcore all Japan hardcores are kind of turned off by the very fact of it being in the Tokyo Dome anyway. Um, and then the fact that it was very, it came at a difficult time for all Japan where even before Baba died, like the company wasn't in great shape uh, financially. And it came to the point where they wanted to, like one of the plans for that 98 show was it for it to be kind of a soft reset of the company and to have like this, this new kind of approach to the company where like everything in that uh, boom, well, the quote unquote boom, the, the sort of critical success of, of all Japan um in the early 90s and and as odo developed like it was a closed garden you know that they didn't cooperate with other promotions like at all like all japan was all japan um and this was when you had hase come in you know you had uh them working with fmw you had them working you know they brought jado and gato in and um so that there was that kind of thing where it was originally going to be a very radical change you know and that there, there were plans you know there were sort of very light talks with wwf are we going to have wwf guys in you know and that kind of thing and in the end there were sort of two plans of thought and baba basically put his foot down that if we're going to do this on this stage then we need to have like our we need to put out the best all Japan match that we can have in the main event and not anything else. And Mito and Kawada won out basically. But like the idea was for that show, you know, there was, there was kind of this, this compromise of, well, we'll do a show in, we'll do one anniversary show in the Budokan. That's kind of very classical all Japan. And then we'll do one more anniversary show in the Tokyo dome. That's this sort of reset button, you know, being hit and here's the new all Japan um and it didn't quite work out that way and is a, a little bit more uh compromised in the end yeah i mean obviously the big thing is that the kawada wins the title from Asawa here and he loses it to kobashi like i believe like a month and a half later or something like that mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. very quick so mm-hmm. and I, I think the issue was that basically Masawa, like kawada you know he was he was good on the chase and you know he'd never beaten Masawa up until that point in a singles match anyway but like once they gave him the belt, he just was one of those guys that like I, I don't know if they just they took too long to go with him, but like mm-hmm. he just he did not draw as champion mm-hmm. at all, which is something I think a lot of the because you know a lot of the internet loves Kawada, and I think yeah. it's kind of it's almost kind of forgotten that you know when he got the belt here it was kind of a disaster. It was like all Japan's lowest drawing uh, tour up until that point, I believe. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, very interesting times, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, what what about the the All Japan show in two thousand one, um, January twenty eighth? It's a King's Road New Century two thousand one, um, which is of course right after the Noah split. They yeah. almost they almost it almost felt like they ran that just to kind of prove they could. Is that yeah? And really, they couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it, it was also well, it was also a thing of. So they did the the ninety nine show with with the the reason they ran it in the Tokyo Dome, like the 
Giant Barber. It's mistranslated as Giant Barber Memorial Show, like that 99 show. It's, oh, okay. it's actually a, a Giant Barber Retirement Show. Uh, mm-hmm. They were very keen on saying that this isn't a memorial show. He's retiring. He hasn't died. He can't die, you know. Um, and so there's different, you know, the reason they did it in the Dome was because, like, Baba played in the Tokyo, you know, played in Korakuen, uh, Korakuen Stadium uh, in his baseball career. Um, so he had a tie to the area, you know, so that, you know, the Tokyo Dome was kind of this coming together of both of those stages of his life or whatever. And then, you know, part of it was, yes, you know, we want to sh- have a show of strength. Um, also that, um, you know, it was two years. It was like the, the anniversary of his passing and like the second anniversary uh, is an important year in, in sort of Japanese culture. Um, but yeah it, it's a rough it's a rough show it's it's because i mean they made this sort of play for nostalgia but nobody was there you know so like everybody that they did get there was a nostalgia draw um you know they they didn't really want to be there you know and it was very strange you had like um anita coming you know anita and terry funk teaming and then like Anita, like Anita being Anita, like he bursts into tears in his sort of post-match promo. He's like, this is our house. It's the house we built. We came back because we love Baba. That's why I'm going to be back in all Japan. And he didn't fucking wrestle there again, <laughs> you know. Um, and the, the main event was ridiculous, you know, and it got changed about three or four separate times. Um you know, because this was coming right off when they did that whole program in New Japan with Kawada and Sasaki, right? Where, like, uh, Kawada beats Sasaki in an exhibition. Um, Sasaki, like, relinquishes the belt. You know, even if it was a non-title match, he, relinqu- he relinquishes the belt. Then you have Sasaki on this redemption story where, like, they have the tournament uh, right before, you know, the New Japan show on January 4th. So, like, he's he's won this tournament uh, he's got the belt back, you know, he's vanquished Kawada, you know, and there should be all this this bad blood, but all of a sudden, fucking Sasaki and Kawada are teaming up against Tenya and Hase, you know, and they just threw it together. Like, so, it was so last minute, um, and it was all, you know, it was all the, like this political brouhaha, and it was all, you know, partly Motoko Baba as, as well, who was really sort of crumbling i think under under the role she was in you know at that point yeah and you know she wouldn't she would give the, t- the company to mudo like about one year later so wouldn't really kind of last yeah time. and a lot of that was kind of that came from the noah you know a lot of the noah office stuff that was the that lead that left um had they started a lawsuit uh, on Baba for severance pay, which which was like unpaid and unpaid salaries, um, and so like you know she had to settle that lawsuit, and then at, at that point it was like you know sold the company in a fire sale and, and put Muto in charge. But yeah, so the, the the actual show just to give people um, context, like the Sasaki and Kawada teaming comes twenty four days after they had just. You know, had this, this that match, the singles match for the IWGP title on the New mm. Japan Dome show. So yeah, it was it does seem a little ridiculous in hindsight that they, you know, were teaming up three weeks later. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, so yeah. that's the that's that that the All Japan show. 
Uh, anything else in the early, late 90s, early, to, like, up to 2002 of New Japan? It seems like the period where it starts, it kind of starts going down a little bit. Well, I mean, late 90s, of obviously, I mean, it was when they were really hot. Um, yeah. So, I mean... Not yet, but, so not quite yet, right. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, like, you just sort of start seeing, you know, they, they were running more and more shows in there. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot, you know, s- stuff like the the Spring 99 show, um, which was kind of, I think that had, was it Don Fry and Muto on top? Um, so, yeah. And, you know, it was kind of shows like that. That's when you, you know, watching them back, I'm watching it going, yeah, it's a decent show for, for that era. But, you know, to put it in a modern sort of setting it's not really a tokyo dome level show you know you could that could have run in the ogoku you know it'd have been a good ryogoku show like it's not a tokyo dome. but like they're running so often now and then they're doing you know it wasn't just the tokyo dome you know they're running osaka dome you know they were yeah. they're running all of like the, these dome shows because they wanted to put on a, a you know, a show of strength. Inoki at the time was looking to take the company public, like around 2000, 2001, they were very close. Um, and they, you know, that that didn't go through in the end, but they, that was kind of the logic. We need to do dome tours. We need to be running like these big buildings. We need to be running much more. And at the time, the economy was kind of supporting that, um, but it started to, to turn by the time it was like okay we're going to hit the button and go public like it it had started to turn they withdrew from that and then you know you had the the collapse you know did they have the ultimate like one match show in here to me which is the uh new japan indicative next october 8th mm-hmm. 2001 like it has a main event with akiyama and nagata against um Oh, and Keiji Mui. Yeah. That's one of the. i think that might be the greatest tag team match of all time yeah. it's, it's up there like it's one of the greatest and yeah. The but the rest of this card, if you look at it, it's like the the semifinals Fujita against Saki in a six and a half minute match by TK. I remember that being okay, but then like you have um, not Manabu Nakanishi against Ta- uh, Yasuda through from the top. Yeah, um, like Bob Backlund and T- T- Fujinami against the Funks. Yeah, really, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. A, tw- a junior title match that goes twenty six seconds with Kendo Kashin running. Kashin and Nanisei. Of the, uh, that four on two match with Silver Giant Silver and Giant Singh that was really terrible. Yeah, it just, uh Tanahashi's Tokyo Dome debut. Yeah, yeah. and Kenzo Suzuki. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but there you go. Just just a really like just not a good card at all other than that main event. But I thought that was a good example of what you're talking about. But mm-hmm. and just a weird mm-hmm. one that yeah, mm-hmm. such a great main event, but then the rest of that card is just nothing. Yeah. Um but yeah, I don't know. Did you would you have anything interesting about that in the book? So, I mean, yeah, I mean, like it's, it's literally, it's, yeah, just kind of, as you said, the, um, the, yeah, the bit that stands out to me there is, is Cashin and they're saying like Cashin was doing this weird gimmick, like schizophrenic kind of gimmick, you know, where like he came out without his mask and like he was the, um, under his real name as well. So he was like the harder, you know, he was like this MMA guy, you know, and then, he puts his his mask on and like he he even though he lost you know he grabs the belt no he won but like you know he throws the belt away or whatever 
and he can't remember what he'd just done. It, it was just really bizarre, like character stuff from Kendokashin, like back at that point. Um, yeah, very, very strange. Yeah, it's it, there's a real sort of quality dip um, at around that point for a number of years, you know, I think. Amazing main event, though. Cannot recommend that match. Very enough. good main event. Very good main event. Very yeah. Um, all right. So after that, we get into um, okay. Here's another. Here's a weird one. August eighth, two thousand two. UFO legend. Um, mm. UFO. What, what was the deal with UFO? Because I looking through it on Cage Match. You know, I I remember you know hearing about it at the time more as just like a, more of a unit in New Japan than anything. But they they mm. didn't run a show between. Um, like the, the basically, there's a big gap where they ran a show in Osaka in June on June 29th, 99. They supposedly ran a show in Holland, November 28th, 99, and then the next time they come back is August 8th, 2002 for this uh, Tokyo Gum show. So what was the deal with yeah. that? Why why, so why the gap? The UFO was like Inoki had this idea after he retired of like you had pride coming up and doing great guns the ufc wasn't you know was was fairly small scale in the in the grand scheme of things and you know this was before zufa and everything else right so like here where they lost uh pay-per-view i think yeah yeah so inoki's idea was like there's this seed of stuff but like everything's disconnected and everything's kind of all over the place so his thought was like we're going you know, I'm going to make kind of like an NWA for mar- for mixed martial arts. Um, and it's going to like unify all of like these different territories, martial arts territories all over the world. Um, and so as a result of that, he got in, you know, that's where sort of Don Fry came in. And so his initial idea of, you know, this was around 97, 98, he got Sayama, Satoru Sayama involved as well. And like his idea of this, like in uh, early 97 was when he started talking about it was, okay, the, the way we'll do it, we'll get like a, a big name to wrestle uh, Shinya Hashimoto. And so his idea was uh, Ken Shamrock. And so they, they were going to do Ken Shamrock, Shinya Hashimoto in the Dome and, and spring of 97. And Ken Shamrock obviously gets signed by the WWF. So he's kind of out of hands and he chances upon Naoya Ogawa, who was like a 92 Olympian uh, judoka and um, uh, charismatic and, and everything else. So he hitched the wagon to Naoya Ogawa and he was going to be like the, the ace of what came to be UFO, the, the United Fighting Arts Organization, I think. Um, and a whole bunch of stuff happens. You have this very famous um, you know, incident with uh, Hashimoto and Ogawa in early 99 to, to kind of help. Um, basically, the, you know, the idea was to get a ton of real world heat and coverage on Ogawa in the end. Um, and the shows didn't draw. Um, and it became in the midst of that, it went from being a legitimate MMA uh, sort of conglomerate and NWA for MMA. It went from that to being like another kind of shoot style pro wrestling promotion instead. And it was just, 
it was it was poorly run, you know, because at that point, like the UWF was a success. And the first two generations of UWF was a success, and UWFI was a success because purely because like MMA wasn't really a big thing in Japan. Yeah. So this was like then trying, it was almost like trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube. You know, it's like MMA is out there now and MMA is super popular. Like we don't really want like a, a big stale sort, sort of quote unquote MMA styled pro wrestling promotion. Um, and so it did really badly. They they did this terrible sort of half full show at the Yokohama Arena uh, where they, uh, you know, ironically enough, aligned with the nwa and like naryogawa beat don fry for the nwa title um and it was really weird because they tried to have an mma style match um but because they had the nwa title they had to do it under nwa rules so it's an mma match but you're not allowed to punch um you know it was really <laughs> bizarre um and so yeah i mean it, it just did appallingly kind of faded out in 99 and then you know, it, it everybody thought it disappeared. And then like Inoki managed to club together some some talks, managed to wrangle a primetime TV spot to sort of bring it back. And so they did this this thing in the Tokyo Dome that was gonna be you know, the plan was like we'll give you one TV special, see how well it does, and then we'll go from there, kind of thing. Um and it, there was never another one, folks. There, so. was, there was another one, yeah. To cut long story short, there was there was never another one. Yeah. And there was a lot of like sort of Inoki bullshit in there, you know, it sort of told everybody that Mike Tyson was gonna be on the show and then you know he wasn't, you know. China uh, was there though. China was there, yeah. China's one and only MMA match. Um quite and quite. <laughs> so not nothing on that show was was a shoot, right? I think it was all worked. Um there was stuff that, yeah, I mean, there, there, it seemed to be a mix. Um, you know, obviously, like the Fujita Yasuda match was a work, and like obviously, Joni Laura and Chicken Akamura was a, was a was a work. But like the Nagara matches uh, were probably legit. Naoya Ogawa and Matt Gafari, you know, was. I guess you could call it legit, but I mean, Gafari was in such a terrible state. That, you know, I mean, you couldn't. Yeah, do anything. I always, I always thought that match was a work, but like maybe it's just that he was so he, he was, was just so such awful. he was just such a fucking it was so fucking awful anyway. I mean yeah. like whether it was the legit or not. I think it was a work actually. Um but uh yeah it's 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 really really bad. And uh this was yeah and an announced twenty eight six four eight. Yeah so like ten thousand uh, people in the building probably yeah yeah <laughs> I mean really like I've seen photos <laughs> of how small, how sparse that crowd. I think ten thousand is, is very generous, actually. <laughs> yeah, um, but, but not but the most. The biggest exaggeration from announced to real was um, two thousand five, uh, the two thousand five January four show, um, which was announced uh, announced at forty six thousand, and that was yeah. You know, it's one of the few things that I know that paid for, and it was seventy five hundred paid. Yeah, I mean, that, was, that was the Nakamura Tanahashi uh, U30 match. People who don't remember, yes. great yeah, match. Yeah. I, I think better than some of their yeah, great, great match. Yeah, very, very good match. Um, the yeah, postponed actually. I mean, like they they there was a plan to do it in December, and they had like a fan vote 
thing of, of who do you want to to main event in like this Osaka show in December? Nobody chose uh, Tanahashi and Nakamura, but then there was like, man, you know, you guys can't draw enough, so we're gonna make it a shitty eight man tag instead that nobody wants to see. Yeah. Um, but so that's yeah, that's that was quite the show. Um, but back, getting back to the uh, the year by year here, another one I wanted to highlight was the All Japan uh, Second Wrestle One. On January nineteenth, two thousand three, um, a very strange show. That was it was like a basically all Japan getting together with K one, right? With K one, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I wouldn't even call it. You know, it it wasn't really an all Japan show. Right, like right. it was, it was Dream Stage. Yeah, it was it was K one basically, and teaming with with Dream Dream Stage. That the, the K one organizers' idea was like we want to get into pro wrestling. And so if K1 is for kickboxing, we're going to have W1 for pro wrestling. Um, but then the whole thing falls apart because K1 and Dream Stage can't get along. And exactly. then Dream Stage goes on to found Hustle instead. So Exactly. Well, the, yeah. yeah. And the reason for that, Dream Stage didn't want to form Hustle per se. Um, but when the K1 and Pride and Dream Stage were all sort of pally pally dream stage funded up a lot of money for that production and like these are all really high-end production shows you know in big big arenas you know tokyo Yokohama arena um and so yeah they, they funded up a lot of money from the production end and for the talent as well um so they paid for bill goldberg on those on those shows on the first show and then on that tokyo dome show and they signed him to like a, I think like a seven appearance deal. Yeah, because um, he, he had to keep coming over to do this even while he was with WWE at the time. Yeah, so he had a seven appearance deal, and the K One and Dream Stage fell out, you know, after three matches. So I mean, it was literally, you know, this thing's falling apart. You don't really want to do anything with it, but we're paying Bill Goldberg a shitload of money uh, <laughs> to do nothing, basically. So they, they, yeah, they started Hustle just to have Bill Goldberg do something. You know? Yeah, it's an amazing story. Um, um, as far as the show itself, it's uh, I tweeted out before the show. Uh, I found like a video footage of Goldberg's entrance on the show. Do you remember Goldberg's yep. entrance? Yep. He like he starts on that bridge into Tokyo Dome City. Yeah. Like, so Chronic, I just want to set it up for people at home. Chronic and Mudo are already in the ring. They're waiting for this. Mudo guy. looks pissed off. He's oh, just yeah. like, fuck's sake. You know they, I mean? they hit Goldberg's music, and he's on the fucking bridge into Tokyo Dome City. <laughs> if you've never been to Tokyo to the Tokyo Dome, everybody, the bridge to Tokyo Dome City is not that close to the Tokyo Dome. Like you have to walk across this bridge and then walk past Cork and Hall, walk past TGI Fridays, walk up this hill, and then you're at the Tokyo Dome. Yeah. So they hit his music. He's basically a, a good little walk away from the dome. Yeah. He, com- he comes into the building. Um, at this point, it's, it's, his stuff's already in the locker room. <laughs> yeah. And he's, he's surrounded by American troops too, for some reason. I guess yeah, instead yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. you don't have any American like, uh, cops. It's only like okay, you cave-faved it because the whole deal was that they legitimately lost communication with Bill Goldberg for a bit. And like, I don't know, he was holding them up for money or whatever. So like, there was a lot of rumors coming in before that, um, that Bill Goldberg was going to no-show it. 
Um, oh, I see. And so he came in very last minute and they kind of played into it during the show of like, oh, we heard Bill Goldberg got on a plane, but we're not sure whether it's going to come. You know, so that was part of the story of the show is Bill, is Bill Goldberg awesome. going to show up? But yeah, so, so then, he, yeah, he's, so he yeah, shows up. They say, oh, he's here. He got on the train all the way to Naruto. He's at Suidabashi Station. He's walking in, walks into his fucking dressing room. He shits all day. <laughs> and he yells, at, he yells at the cameraman to get out when, when like, <laughs> I guess we don't get to see Goldberg undressed. He sent his bag on ahead of time. I yeah. And then, <laughs> and then, like, the, the troop, like, knocks on the door. And there's a long pause, like, longer than I remember WCW. And he get, gets ready to knock on the door again, like, Goldberg, maybe Goldberg didn't hear me. And then Goldberg <laughs> opens the door at the exact moment. And the entire yeah. time... They cut. To, they keep cutting to the ring, or like you're saying, Keiji Muto like puts his hands on the on the ropes and like acts <laughs> like he's gonna take a nap. And yeah. it's, like, it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. It's really, it's, I tweeted it out on uh, on my Twitter. I'll retweet it on the Omakaze account because it's really it is really hilarious. But thank you for giving that context. I had no idea that that was the reason that yeah, it was a yeah. it was a story with him maybe no showing. I'm um, also on this show because I, I'm a I'm a big fan of uh, the original Toriyaman, and and at the mm. time. Um, so what they did was an amazing little thing here where one of the hottest angles of, of Toriyaman history was the, the Toriyaman versus Toriyaman 2000 project feud mm-hmm. at the time. And where they, they had just lost a match um, at the end of 2002 where the the crazy Max Ute stable and Toriyaman had, beat, had beaten the Italian connection in T2P and that basically ended the T2P promotion. So it was a huge, a huge thing, a hot feud that went on for like half of 2002. And then they added this weird match to this dome show where um, it was going to be the debut of Taiji Ishimori. This was like his very first Japanese match when he, he had been training in Mexico, where if the Italian connection could beat uh, Ishimori and the Royal Brothers, then it would completely undo the entire 2002 feud. So they have this, this really, really hot story with this promotion being sealed. And they bring it into a six-man tag at this dome show where no one on earth, no one in that building gave a single shit. Oh. That six man tag. They had no like, idea what was going on. They had no idea the fate of an entire promotion was on the line, yeah. and it was just so it's just so hilarious that that, that yeah match. yeah that's that's not yeah it it was just yeah, it was a throwaway six man yeah <laughs> but it was like it, it's amazing it's a huge story that went on for yeah. like eight months it was like could potentially be undone by this match and it was like no one in the, I don't think anyone in the dome had a single clue that's amazing like, they, they yeah react, that's amazing react. I like yeah. Yeah, I, I wasn't fully into that, but like, yeah, I mean, uh, Taiji Ishimori as well. Like, that was he it, was it, he'd just come back, right, to Japan. Yeah. So it, this was his Japanese landing. That was yeah. the term they used, and it it kind of ended up being like a it foretold the lack of success for Ishimori and for Toriyaman X as a brand because like mm. both would be complete disasters and just total failures. And you know, Ishimori carved out a really good career for himself after he got out of Toriyaman. And got yes. over to Noah, but like he was yeah. a complete failure as the ace of Toriyaman X. So yeah, it was yeah. a very in- very interesting thing. But I yeah, kind of foretold it because this match was, like you're saying, just a match basically. <laughs> but it didn't help yeah, the crowd. The least probably the least bizarre match on the entire crowd, you know, <laughs> on the entire card. Which I mean, it was like Gio had said this in the book. Like here's here's a match between like you know two guys that. Two Japanese guys that are convinced they're British, and like you know, <laughs> two Japanese who, who think they're Italian, and Taiji Ishimori, you know, and then, and it's the least strange thing on this card. Anthony W. Mori was not just convinced he was British. Anthony W. Mori like loved being British. Like his whole, <laughs> his whole gimmick was like he just loved this so much, and 
when when Sugura turned on him and you know they they disbanded the Royal Brothers, he was just very very he's, he went he was like catatonic for like six months about it. He was very uh very upset. But yeah, so that's mm. that's the one the only bit of uh Toriyaman lore I can provide here on this show because obviously the uh they Toriyaman never ran the Tokyo Dome or anything like that. Um, okay, so mid two thousands, obviously a kind of a down period for New Japan. As you just said the, you know, the January fourth two thousand five show. When you're watching them, like you know, all the dome shows back to back to back like that, was there any point like what what was the show where where it hit you like okay this is this is where it really gets bad? It was I don't know I, I think like probably when you're talking about like, the ultimate crashes like yeah. those two cards because. It was, it's to the point where, you know, actually the ultimate crush show is like the, on the stuff they had on New Japan World is just like the pro wrestling part of it. Um, but yes, I had to find the DVDs of, of those shows. And That's like, those were so like real, long, real, real MMA matches, right? Yes. So like the middle, so you'd have like two or three pro wrestling matches, then like four or five legit fights. And then three or four main event, uh, pro wrestling main events. And the first time they did it, actually, like Ultimate Crush won, when they announced that structure, um, the the ticket sales, like they sold a, a good chunk of tickets. So people were intrigued about that format. Um, and then, and then but, obviously the Kobashi Chono match helped a lot. Yeah, obviously that helped <laughs> a lot as well. But I mean, like the yeah, it just in practice like making your fans you know if you like if you liked both mma and pro wrestling then making them switch those mental gears was incredibly tough to do um and if you just like pro wrestling which was most of the fans of new japan pro fucking wrestling <laughs> then it's like you know, it felt like having to eat your greens before you get dessert. You know, it's like you have to get the like these these MMA fights, which weren't even great fights. You know, to to get to your pro wrestling main events was it was just yeah. And then you just have the thing. Okay, so this. Okay, so you're gonna see some of the fake stuff. Then it's the real fights, and then after that it's the it's the it's the other fake stuff again you know it's like the, what, it's such a weird the message weird you're vibe. giving to your audience like it it was so strange just so bizarre and it, it started um for me to get there and like then when you get to that 2005 show i mean the infamous thing on the 2005 show is the ultimate crush match um uh, ultimate no ultimate royal match i beg your pardon yeah. Um, which was uh, Ron Waterman, Blue Wolf, uh, yeah, the other guy's name on that. This is like the ultimate royal match in Japanese wrestling fandom circles, and everybody writing about uh, you know Japanese wrestling in Japanese. The ultimate royal match is basically the Japanese equivalent to um, you know the oh what's your fucking dude in the stormtrooper mask falling through the rope falling, the shock master right shock master. that's ultimate royal is our shock master um the idea behind ultimate royal was that it was an eight-man mma tournament right single elimination eight-man tournament where all the matches happen simultaneously yeah just try to picture that yeah <laughs> it's not gonna not a great not a great uh not a great idea 
Right. Um, I mean, I like that. That's the same show though with that Nakamura Tanahashi match. So that's exactly that's worth, that's worth yeah, watching. Yeah. But not, yeah, so there was not like the light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> it's such so, a dark so, tunnel. So while New Japan's like imploding, uh, you also have the the two Noah shows here: the Departure yep. and Destiny. Uh, what was rewatching those like? God, so good. It was so. It was like such a thing of like, okay, I've got to trudge through these some of these bad new japan shows but like the noah show what hits you is how hot the crowd are on those yeah. shows it's so loud it's so amazing like wow you know and uh you know of course in that you have you know uh kabashi and sasaki you know being just uh, you know one of the most sort of iconic uh matches brilliant in history i think you know um you know and you you had the the work was great but it's like everybody was it seemed like they were on such an up and up you know and like they had the youth end and you know they had guys that were young and they had guys that appealed to women and they were appealing to women and kids in the way that new japan does now and they, they had such uh potential at that point where after that first tokyo dome in, show in 2004 by the end of 2004 they were the biggest company in japan just a, you know just by a hair but like they had their best year when new japan pretty much had their worst year and so there was a point where where noah was the biggest company in the, in biggest promotion in in the country um and then you know really 2005 underperformed by their standards and then it was a lot of financial things as well and we have to restructure and it was really from that restructuring that you know some you know there, there was a lot of bad partnerships bad decisions and then you know dodgy money and then you know everything everything went south after that um yeah you know obviously you know all the all the retirements didn't help either yeah exactly um, that, that kobashi akiyama match is the one that stands out for me that was a that was a really yeah, good that's match. Really good in, in like yeah. in my in my history of wrestling fandom that was like you know one of the matches that i think really cemented to me that this is the style of wrestling that i love and it's probably a huge reason why i'm still here you know all these years later but mm -hmm. yeah i mean just just an incredible match and just you know one of those matches go where going in you know it really did feel like i like if you were on the internet at the time, like that match just felt like it was, it was just hyped up all year, basically. Like people, I think everybody knew that was going to be the match at the dome. And, you know, there was so much speculation on who was going to win. And which it's just hilariously, you know, which sounds hilarious given that the rain Kobashi wanted to have, but like the, the consensus online at the time was that, you know, Akiyama was definitely going to win the title here, but I don't know if you remember that at all, but at the time, I mean, that's, that's definitely how I remember it. Right. So. It was a, a very interesting one. I go, the other big problem I think Noah had was just that the if you look at this car, like you said, they did have young guys, but like so many of them were juniors. And I think that yeah. just, it took it was before, you know, a guy like an AJ Styles really was able to succeed at the top of New Japan. Just they weren't ready. That's that's yeah. Yeah, yeah. There, there is. Yeah, there is that. I mean, well, Morishima. To yeah. an extent, you know, I mean, Morishima was getting great reactions as, as a young guy. But, uh, yeah, then it kind of put Marufuji in that situation where Marufuji kind of had to do both. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then by the time Kenta went heavy, it was, it was too late, you know. Yeah. But really interesting. Two, two really awesome cards. Two, I think two of the best shows of all time. So if people... Oh. 
people should definitely go back and watch them. And obviously no one never ran again. And that yep. and, and no one else has ever run the dome. You know, that, that except for DDT. <laughs> yeah, except for DDT, which, you know, the one time now, what do you think of the fact that DDT actually like they want to run the dome as like a real mm. show? Like that's apparently a goal. Like, do you think it's yep. doable? Um they've got a lot of work to do, but at the same time, they have this great platform now. And you know, I mean to give people you know context that might not have it, like the company that bought DDT last year dwarfs Bushy Road. Like it's a far bigger media giant than than Bushy Road is, you know. But Bushy Road holds New Japan very near and dear and, and they're they're putting a lot of resources behind New Japan, whereas whether um you know, whether DDT's owners will or not, you know, that's that's a bigger question. But they also have like this big platform with Abima TV in Japan, which means that they like Abima TV is kind of like it's a streaming, like it's a real time streaming service. So, you know, it's kind of like I don't know. Is there, is there even an equivalent? There really isn't. Cause it's it's there very. It, really. it's, I remember talking to someone about this a few episodes ago, where you know. So, so a lot of the over the tops have had trouble catching on in Japan, right? And I think yeah. a big reason for that is because, like the in Japan, it's not really common to to pay for television. Like cable, right. ca- the cable doesn't exist, and satellite, I believe, satellite only ever got like what, like ten or fifteen percent penetration. Yeah, it, it's not a huge penetration. Yeah, so Abima, I guess, like Abima the closest, like thing. it's like it's yeah, free. I, I guess you want like, ads, it's, basically. it's almost what Twitch does twitch is getting more into which is like imagine switch where it isn't just video games like it's yeah because like, it's an entertainment so channel it's an anime channel it's a movie yeah. channel or whatever and you're just and, you're, you're looking at these channels and streaming or whatever new japan um, airs on it too yes new japan does it's you it's like old content for the most part they do yeah. the occasional live specials or whatever but because that company now owns ddt they have like they do at least one show, one live show a month. Yeah, it's like it's a Korkin, usually. Korkin. Yeah. And so then they have weekly variety shows or whatever. And yeah. they pull in like a good 130, 150,000 views. Yeah. So if you um, can build on that, like that's mm. where I think if they can, if they can break, like, you know, if they can keep building that audience, then I think they could do like, what's the non embarrassing dome number? Like they can do 20,000. Within like a year, yeah, or two, maybe. I think twenty thousand would be a really great number, you know, yeah. really great number, you know, because I mean, New Japan was south of that for for a very very long time. You yeah. know, I think like twenty thousand for for DDT would be huge. Yeah. Um. So he wants to do it twenty twenty. So like, you know, we'll we'll see. He's got, this that, he's got some time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the DET thing, obviously, now, if I, I don't know how many Western fans are aware of this, but I always try to remind people now, because because the Corkins air for free on Abima, they also stream for free on DET Universe. Because obviously, mm. you know, Westerners cannot get Abima unless you have uh, unless you have a VPN. It will not stream outside Japan. Yeah. But if you don't have a DET Universe subscription, you can still watch these monthly Corkins and whatever else airs on Abima that will stream for free on DET Universe as well. So for mm-hmm. keep it in mind if you're over here in the West. Um, but yeah, so let's talk it gets back on track here at the New Japan shows. Um, so this is kind of where we they, they kind of stop running 
the non-January 4th. I believe the last non-January 4th show is the Tokan uh, Sozu new chapter, right? October 8th, yep. 2005. So that yep. was a disaster of a show with Brock Lesnar winning the title in a three-way mm-hmm. over Fujita and Chono. Of course, Best, Brock- like, <laughs> most prophetic post-match promo ever. Where I don't know if you've seen it, the promo Brock Lesnar cuts after he wins the title. I have seen it, but I don't really remember. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride that Brock Lesnar is going to take you on. <laughs> you know, like, you know, a little bit of creative license for like, you know, enjoy the ride that Brock Lesnar is going to take you for. Like, yeah. it's more. It's a really he he really was terrible. I mean, just <laughs> just awful. A lot of that if you're if you've never seen any of that stuff, like some of it is um. And my, have you seen the the history of New Japan video that uh, jo- videos that Jonas did? I uh, like the music videos. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. So like so a lot of that's in there where you see like Brock, um, mm. you know, just the lack of effort in his title matches, and oh, then like so, the weight. Like, they were all like sub ten minutes or whatever, you know. But I mean, that three way was eight minutes. He doesn't take a bump, you know. Like, I mean, Don't they pin. were kind of. At least, like they they had a plan for it, where it's like, okay, we're gonna line people up. You know, he's gonna mow through that three way, then he's gonna mow through. You know, he's gonna take out Nakanishi, he's gonna take out Nagata or whatever. And then, like, you know, the the plan was to have him be tested, you know, more. So it's like, oh, Nakamura, like there was a there was one big pop in that Nakamura match where he hits a German suplex on Brock. So it's like Nakamura got a move on Brock Lesnar, you know, and like so it, it would get to that point where you know tanahashi would beat him and like that you know tanahashi was off to the races well you know brock didn't want to do it so yeah i mean you can see that um, in that video they, they you know when the the reporter suggests that tanahashi should be the next challenger like brock has like a freak out backstage and it's clear that was not exactly a work he just did not want to lose to, to Tanahashi. I don't know if it's because he was like. Well, no, I mean, I, I don't, I, th- I don't think it's so much. I don't think it is that. You know, I think like at the end of the day, for him and that for Brock at that point, it was, it was a money thing, really. You know, mm. because I don't, I can't really envisage Brock Lesnar giving a shit either way. You know, at that point, you know, he clearly didn't care. So, I think it was, it was more about, you know, money than than creative, but. Uh, Either way, you know, it, it led to Tanahashi beating Giant Bernard in, instead. And then, yeah, and then the belts, the belts end up realigning because Brock, you know, the, the how, how did that whole thing work? Do you know anything about that? The Inoki genome? Because Inoki yeah. ends up basically coming in and saving the lineage of the title, which is amazing. But yeah, so Inoki splashes all this money. So his new thing now is IGF. Yeah, and um, so he recruits. Simon Inoki, you know, because it's reasonably easy. It's his son-in-law, you know, <laughs> away from from New Japan to help run it. So there's that tie, and then Inoki's like, "We're gonna throw you shit loads of money, you know, for Brock Lesnar to come work the first couple of IGS shows." And then um, New Japan's working with TNA at the time, so it's like, okay, here's something we can do. At least Brock can work with Kurt Angle, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, so this was two years on you know this was you know i mean it the whole situation took two years to do you know so 2007 kurt angle comes in they they do that match kurt angle wins the the third belt and then like they they built it over a while where you know kurt angle 
was they called him the third belt champion. You know, he wasn't like the recognized IWGP champion. Well, and um, according to TNA, he was. So, they... Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and that was part of the thing. So Kurt Angle, you know, and that was his thing. Kurt Angle was saying, I'm the IWGP champion. And then all the New Japan guys would be saying, you're, you're champion of jack shit. You know, we don't recognize this belt. This isn't, you know. And so that was part of the heat. And then, like, you know, they defend it on shows. That's when you had that great 2008 match, Kurt Angle and uh, Yuji Nagato. Yeah, it was a really good match, uh, and then you know uh, Shinsuke Nakamura wins that that main event, and then they they face off, and then so finally it was like the April Ryogoku show in two thousand eight. You know, after Brock Lesnar walked out with the belt in spring two thousand six, so it was just it was two. So two years, years later, yep, they finally yeah, re- reunify the belt. I, I guess my question was though, like, when did was that was the note that Noki helping New Japan, or was he? Like, like, was that his intention when he when he did the Brock Angle match? Was to let then Kurt go back and lose the belt, or did New Japan just take? Yeah, I I think he needed a big drawing match anyway, you know. And I think it it was just yeah, it, it was a mutual. Gotcha. It was a mutual thing. Yeah, yeah. So that's it. it was. I mean, the you'd be surprised, but like that there wasn't actually that much bad blood between them uh, to the yeah. point. Uh, Nakamura, you know, there were a lot of talks of they were going to bring Nakamura in for igf as as well and that kind of fell through um now i can you know, i can believe it though i guess so yeah. um but that's where we get into the wrestle kingdom era uh the very first one was one four 2007 and then that goes forward through today um mm. anything in the early wrestle kingdom stand out um yeah it's tough i mean like it it was just the you see science spots of where like the the in-ring product is coming together. You know, it's becoming more cohesive because they bring Choshu back to Burke. And then, so you're seeing that evolution of the, the, the Choshu era where it's like, we're going to get back to basics and get back and focus on the in-ring stuff. And then that sort of transitioning into Gedo. Um, and you, you see guys like, you know, like Tanahashi really in the ascendancy. You see guys like uh, Hiroki Goto as well. Uh, kind of coming through but also you have like the the tna stuff that they feel you know they felt that they had to do and like uh, you know it didn't really work well for the, for the product at all you know and you, you had that bad jeff hardy tetsuya naito match you had that that bad you know you had abyss versus nakanishi in a random <laughs> yeah that, remember that really but that that, like that that second one did have like you, you mentioned the angle nagata match that was really awesome I remember that match. yeah yeah so i mean it it but it yeah it, it kind of it, it was for better or for worse and i think that was the whole thing with the ukes era as well where it's like going it, it was a thing of they were they were building it but people weren't coming because ukes didn't invest in the company they didn't have the resources to invest in the company and they didn't know have the the know-how to invest in the company um so i mean they bought new japan to sort of protect it really from you know a lot of um outside uh interests that, that would I, have I, just I, broken I, it down you know what you're trying to say, um so. venture capitalists kind of thing yeah and um but they didn't really know what to do with it after that. And the, you know, and Kidani said this, you know, they kind of ran, I mean, Ukes is a video game company is the same. It is the same Ukes that makes those shitty WWE games. <laughs> um, 
And so they ran it like a video game company, which is, you know, we need to put product out there. It needs to be on time and it needs to be under budget, you know, and after that, we're not bothered. Um, so they did, you know, a lot of like the insights that I've read from talent and people in the office around that time was that they were very sort of grateful to Ukes for really getting the company's shit together, like in, in, a, in a management sense, where it was more of a proper fucking company and not a pro wrestling sort of Carney company, where they were kind of doing things the Carney way right up until like the, the mid 2000s. There weren't sort of checks and balances. It was more sort of, oh, about this, we'll do okay. You know, and they, you know, things weren't properly documented or anything like that. And so Ukes sort of made New Japan pull their shit together. And then like that got to the point where um, they could sell it to, to Bushi and Bushi would have been able to take the ball and run with it and, and make it a lot bigger. Yeah. Bushi took over in 2012. Um, yep. The first, so the first Wrestle Kingdom under them would have been the Wrestle Kingdom 7, which would have been yes. January 4th, 2013. Yeah. Um, by, that, by that point, I think to a lot of people, you know, you're already kind of coming back at this point. And this is also where a lot of the, I'd say like before the current wave of Western fans that came in, like the the, the mm. wave before that, I feel like a lot of the, from just anecdotally, it feels like a lot of people came in in like this 2012, 2013 era. Wow. Yeah, it was, uh, well, that was when a, a younger me and WH Park started a little podcast, <laughs> Japanese Wedding Wrestling. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, yeah, there, there was a feeling that there was a zeitgeist coming and they, knew that they wanted to appeal to a western market but didn't quite know how yet and so you had those Ustream shows that were very very expensive yeah. pay-per-views like the Ustream era and like but but that got those really hardcore former tape trader crowd like that got them yeah. i mean i know like the first time the first time speaking of someone who was who came up in like you know, the like basically the first shows I started seeing were like 2002. Just the first time I was able to buy a New Japan show on Ustream and watch it live at like four in the morning or whatever. Like, just that, that just felt like this amazing thing that I was like, wow, this is the future. Like, I mean, yeah, it's amazing. And like, it, there wasn't that much, there weren't that many complaints at the time. You know, like the G1 was fucking like ridiculous. Dollars, yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. And that was if you got the discounted one. Like they sold the entire thing like 120 up to a date, and then it went up to, to like 170. One year, I think either 2013 or tw maybe it was it must have been 2013. I didn't purchase it in time, and like mm. you know, I know you know I cursed myself because it cost me like an extra fifty dollars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it was just a, it was amazing. But yeah. yeah, I mean, like it, it sounds crazy to people now because we spend you know 999 yen to get it all every month, but okay. yeah. maybe we're shelling out 170 dollars for the G1. It's ridiculous, yeah. Um, but yeah, so like the the Wrestle Kingdom era. What I, I guess this is an easy question. What's your favorite Wrestle Kingdom of this this latest era? Oh God, it's um, it's not as easy as all that actually. I mean, like everything. So I started going annually around Wrestle Kingdom three or four, like the Ibushi debit one. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um. And yeah, I so I sort of came up with it, saw it grow, and like there's a lot like there's kind of like your heart saying something, your head saying something. You know, it's like Wrestle Kingdom Nine. I'm sort of 
most emotionally sort of invested in and, and most attached to. But I think rewatching a lot of that show, it it doesn't hold up to uh, to the later shows. You know, I think this year's show was far too long. You know, because it, I mean it was six hours. But I mean, like you look at it, the quality up and down the card. Like I think it was, you know, probably the best overall card in general. You know, even if the the highs weren't as high. Right. It's the last two years. It's the big debate with eleven. Eleven has those four matches in a row. Mm. Or what, actually, was it five? No, like yeah, four. Like these four, those four matches in a row with you know Hiromu Kushida, Goto Shibata, Naito Tanahashi, Okada Omega. I don't think twelve could hit that level of just four four matches at that mm. incredible level, one after another mm. like that. But mm. twelve, but twelve then, like you're saying, has like more quality throughout the entire card. Yeah, right. It's like the bottom workout. So it's like a, it's a debate to me. Like what? Like I prefer yeah. eleven of the two, but I totally yeah. see. Like, Twelve. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like twelve. Just like that opening junior tag match is amazing, you know. And then you know you had the Suzuki Goto and like the junior four way was great. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sort of most attached to in my mind Wrestle Kingdom Nine because uh, you know I'm, I'm sure your next question is like the best Tokyo Dome match, and for me it's like it's hands down Kota Ibushi and Shinsuke Nakamura. Yeah, um, and match. it's. I know for an absolute fact it's the best match I've ever seen live, and I, you know, I've watched it back a few times, but it's been it'd been a while before I rewatched it for the book. I was like, okay, okay, you know, I was preparing myself for I'm going to let myself down, and then you know when it changes gear, when it sort of gets into that sort of third act kind of thing, it is mind blowing. It's still like. It's the best, and like I'm seeing, you know, rewatching it for the book, watching it, knowing, okay, I've got to write about this. I was seeing things that I hadn't seen before. You know, there's very few matches where you can identify like an element of the story by rewatching it that really rewards people rewatching it. Um, but like, yeah, the the you know Ibushi trying to to run up, to one up Nakamura. You know, in the end, they they clash knees and you know because ibushi wants that wants a bonnier you know and they they clash knees and nakamura's knee is like that little bit stronger and that like, leads to the finish you know it was uh yeah it, it's i, I think, think it's, it's, it's one of the best matches favorite. of all time i think yeah it's probably, i mean that match is so good nakamura came over to america the next year did virtually the same fucking match with sammy zane and his nxt debut and that match you know was almost one match of the year so yeah I mean, it just being the same, like just almost at the exact same match in a lot of ways. But yeah, I mean, it's just an incredible, incredible match with Nakamura Nobuchi. I, I, I think one of the, like one of the best ever. Um, mm. But yeah, so like Wrestle Kingdom Nine, that's a great, that's a great answer and a great, um, you know, a great, a great show and a great match. Um, but yeah, I guess we can wrap this up now. I assume you got a, a day ahead of you here in, Japan yeah. time. I do I do have a day. We, um, so let's um, let's talk a little bit about the book one more time and talk about how to because um, obviously all the stuff we talked about today and a lot of stuff we didn't talk about today all covered in the book. Uh, yep. It's called again, it's called Eggshells. Um, it's already been funded, but you can keep working to fund stretch goals, including as you were talking about earlier the the a podcast stretch mm-hmm. goal. So anyone who is interested in hearing even more Tokyo Dome 
content than they're getting here. You know, that definitely, um, I mean, it might be funded by the time you hear this, because like I said earlier, it's going to be about a three day delay. So by the time you hear this, it could be funded. So, yeah. Yeah. And then after that, audiobooks as well. Yeah. Audible people. Um, So, yeah, please uh, do go, go. It's on Indiegogo. Um, IGG.me slash at slash eggshells will take you right there. Um, but uh, also like yesterday it was weird. I was just I was just going to bed and then like I you know opened up like the Indiegogo homepage and like I saw we were trending and then I thought that can't be fucking right because you know like every website knows where you live these days, so it's like it's just popping local trends, right? So then like I shut that, opened like another browser that I never use and like did the same thing. It's like, oh shit, we're like we were the top trending writing project on Indiegogo, um, at least last night as we're as we're talking. Um but yeah, uh Indiegogo or search for eggshells and, and we're right there. Uh eggshellsbook.com and uh yeah, and all of that other good stuff. On Twitter it's at ESBooked. And um, I am at Reason JP, and um, there you go. Yeah, that's that's all my stuff. Yeah, and um, you can follow this podcast at Wrestle Omakaze. As always, um, we'll be back next week. I don't have a guest yet, but <laughs> we'll get that information out on our Twitter feed, and you'll hear all about it uh, as soon as it's confirmed. But Chris, thank you for coming on. This was a lot of fun. I did I didn't quite know how it was going to go, but we covered you know. We covered a lot of stuff, so yeah. I think it'll be very informative and interesting for for people to hear back when they, um, you know, when they listen back. And again, I, I and I have to say to my audience, you know, I I supported this project. I thought you did a really cool job yeah. with Lions Pride, and I hope you, I hope some of our fans will be interested in supporting this book as well. It's always good to support a an artist directly too, which is what's great about Indiegogo. So, yeah. Yeah. all right. Thanks again for coming on. Thank everybody for listening and we'll see you next week. Here it comes again. Lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican jerk turkey sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican jerk turkey sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery.